The kingdom of heaven is like this. A mustard seed, Jesus says. We know the story. Things large and sweeping. They start small. Most any ethical teacher would acknowledge this. Big things come in small packages, the well-known idiom tells us. It is small but mighty. The phrase rolls off the tongue. Even Shakespeare has said as much. In A Midsummer Night's Dream, a tale of two sets of lovers, one of the young ingenues, Helena, says of her counterpart, Hermia, though she be but little, she is fierce. This is a phrase so true that the Shiraz family has an art print of the words on the wall of our daughter's bedroom. We know the story. We get the point. We don't really need Jesus to tell us that there is power in things that are small. So what is it that we need Him to tell us? What is it that we need to hear from Him today? Well, maybe it comes somewhere in the placement of this parable about the small seed. It's the latest in a series of ear-ringing, expectation-defying parables that Jesus tells in this stretch of the Gospel of Matthew. And He has just told the parable of the weeds, which suggests that the kingdom will not overtake evil or interfere dramatically with sin and injustice in this world. Instead, weeds will grow up all around it, the story says, and in their midst, there's this tiny, nearly invisible mustard seed of hope that a new world is yet possible. The story of the seed is just as tiny to our eyes and ears when it shows up in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus told this story in a variety of places, it would seem, because all kinds of crowds and settings needed to hear it. And in Luke, it's told in chapter 13, and at the beginning of that chapter, another story is told of a large tower that falls in Jerusalem and it crushes 18 people. And then later in that same chapter, Jesus heals a woman that had been bent over for 18 years. And the stories are linked with that number 18, with the mustard seed right in the middle. But you might ask, why didn't Jesus save the 18 people instead of the one? Or better yet, why didn't Jesus do something decisive that could save all 19 of them together? When we start keeping count, it becomes overwhelming, doesn't it? More than 500. The estimated number of people killed in Israel following surprise attacks by Hamas. At least 313. The number of Palestinians killed by airstrikes targeting Hamas as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu announces that Israel is, quote, embarking on a long and difficult war. People are continually being crushed in this world. It's an impossible scale. 2,000. The number of people killed in an earthquake in western Afghanistan this weekend. So much evidence of suffering just overwhelming us. 460. The rising number of mass shootings in the United States in 2023. We can't even keep the numbers straight until maybe they come close to us. Numbers like 10. 
the number of people injured last Friday in Greensboro in the parking lot of Dudley High School when after the football game between Dudley and Smith, an incredible event in our community, someone drove onto campus, they fired into the crowd, and they drove their car through the mass of people, injuring many and killing one. Mr. Matthew Grant, a Dudley volunteer who worked the parking lots on Friday nights, and an associate pastor at New Light Missionary Baptist Church. I spoke to New Light's pastor, Reverend Dr. Curtis Brown, this week. And you know, he was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with the scale of this loss. Overwhelmed with the size of the grief. Saying how Minister Grant was such a gift to the community. And how his funeral will be this Saturday. Pray for us, he said. Just pray for us. Things just keep falling on people. Leaving us crushed by violence, by hatred, by fear. People broken by distortion, by extremism. People lost to illness. Conflict and division just growing up around us. Finding us in the thick of the weeds all the time. And you wonder amidst it, how the kingdom could ever be seen or realized, how it could ever grow, and what difference it is possibly making. What is one seed amidst the swelling, growing evidence of death and destruction? And notice, friends, it is at that precise moment in the Gospels as all of those questions start to mount, that's the moment that Jesus tells today's parable. This parable of the mustard seed. This was an urgent message for those gathered around Him in the Gospels. Because they were trying to believe in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus envisions, but they look around and despite some momentary flashes here and there, there wasn't any evidence of a kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. The world was at war with itself in the very same places we see so much conflict today. And Caesar's taxes were oppressing people and hunger was an overwhelming epidemic and people with serious illness faced uncertain futures and religious factions were constantly in conflict with one another the most vulnerable were being crushed all about and the disciples were wondering if their hope would survive all of these pressures that were surrounding them and those closest to jesus they even wondered amidst this about whether he was being effective or not amidst all of this what difference is he making they wondered and so, when a woman used a costly jar of oil to wash Jesus' feet, some began to wonder why He didn't demand that that money be used more efficiently, more effectively, more benevolently to feed the poor, for instance. Or, when Jesus lags in the presence of children, some question why He does not move on to more important tasks that will make a larger sweeping difference amidst all that overwhelms. Because He never stages the overthrow that some wanted from their Messiah. He fails to exercise the political clout that we want to see. And then, to top it all off, He tells us, well, this kingdom that you're looking for, it is like a seed. This is what He's always doing. For those awaiting some sort of grand dramatic action, the arrival of the kingdom in spectacle and power, Jesus describes the kingdom in things such as seeds and fields and farmers and bread baking in the oven and people traveling familiar roads. He never asks people 
to leave their own world, you see. Instead, saying that the kingdom is near to you. Even in places like this, where you feel at times crushed or overwhelmed with so much evidence of death and despair. And Jesus believed that it's we who understand so well this world with all of its limitations just as it is, that we are the ones that can still yet imagine this world as it can yet be. Though tragedy towers over us, God's kingdom is still at work. Though we can become increasingly overwhelmed and frustrated by all that grows up to choke out our vitality, the kingdom is growing, he tells us. And it's healing the body of that bent-over woman. And it's touching the lives of little ones, the vulnerable along the way. It's making things grow. And it's not a kingdom that's going to overtake or overwhelm because its Messiah mounts a lowly donkey, not a conquering war horse. Its message proclaims power and weakness and greatness in service of all things. And its enduring symbol is not a mighty throne, but a rugged cross. And this kind of kingdom of small things, well, it is within the possibility of each of us who can hear the story. And so Jesus tells this parable because the disciples, with all of their questions, they needed to hear it. And Jesus tells this story because maybe He Himself needed to remember it was true. And it seems that Jesus tells this story because He could see all the way down through the years to those of us who need this message today that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is like the very smallest of seeds. That famous mustard seed, the dot on Pastor Amy's page, it is notable for its incredibly small size. Its diameter is measured at less than a tenth of an inch. You could put 750 mustard seeds together and they weigh a single gram. The reign of God, Jesus says, is like this. It doesn't happen all at once. It's not always clearly visible. You have to lean in to see it. It's often overshadowed. It's seemingly overtaken. And that might actually be the good news because our lives so often feel like that and amidst those feelings the message seems to be then as it is now you start somewhere you do something you do what it is in your power to do to see the kingdom come and grow Fred Craddock who taught at Candler School of Theology at Emory has put it in economic terms and he once said that he always imagined giving his life to be glorious, to pour yourself out for others, to pay the ultimate price, maybe to give your life. I'll do it, he said, as a young, zealous follower of Jesus. I'm ready, Lord. I'll, I'll go out in a blaze of glory for you. And Fred says he pictured himself running in front of a train and rescuing a child, maybe. Or swimming out to someone who was drowning and saving their lives. Or even being willing to die for the cause of Christ. And he imagined that flags would be at half-mast and widows would be weeping in the afternoon and later there'd be a monument built and people would come with their cameras. Johnny, you stand over there where Fred gave his life. Let's get your picture here. In other words, he said, we think giving our all to the Lord is like taking out a $1,000 check and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. But the reality, he says, for most of us, is that Christ sends us to the bank and has us cash in the thousand dollars 
for small change. You don't write one big check in your life. You write years and years and years of small little checks. 87 cents. 21 cents. A dollar and three cents. The reign of God is like that. It is small. And yet it still helps people to stand up straight. It is tiny. Nearly invisible sometimes. And yet it still grants abundant life. It still helps us to imagine something more than what crushes or overwhelms us. And one biblical scholar explains it this way, while it is the characteristic of mustard seeds to be small, it is also their characteristic to be alive. And that's the thing about this kingdom of heaven. Though it can seem little, it is alive. The kingdom of God is alive and it shows up all around us, sometimes in the smallest ways making a difference course just not enough of a difference it's not enough of a difference for one child to know the touch of Christ is not enough we want that kind of power and worth for all children for one family to be housed is not enough we want that promise for all people for one person to know that they are the beloved of God in a world that tells them otherwise is not enough we imagine it for all of God's children And ultimately, even Jesus knows that the mustard seed kingdom, though it is alive, it is not enough. It is not enough. And so He tells us how the smallest of seeds will one day transform and become the greatest of trees where the birds of the air will nest. This is an echo of the Hebrew tradition where the prophet Ezekiel envisioned God's reign as a great cedar tree where all kinds of birds, all kinds of people, you see, would come together in serenity and peace. Of course, the confounding thing about this particular parable is that that's not what mustard seeds do. They just grow into these stubby little yellow bushes. At most, they get to be about 10 feet high. And so it's impossible for us to imagine a mustard seed actually growing into a tree. As one scholar puts it, it would take a botanical miracle for this small seed to grow into the enormous tree that Jesus pictures. And it would take a philosophical miracle, a dramatic shift in the patterns of our thinking for us to believe that this could happen. That God's kingdom could actually come through our efforts. But that's what Jesus expects. That's what He proclaims in this story and in the whole of His life. He says that one day, through all of these tiny seeds, God will transform violence into peace, fear into security, pain into rejoicing. And as the people of God continue to plant themselves deeply into the ground, into the earth, loneliness will open up to a realm where all are in community. As we continue to do what it is in us to do, finding the depths of our resources and gifts, homelessness and brokenness and displacement will give way to a kingdom with many rooms and space enough for all. As we learn to give of our lives more fully, more graciously, affirming all of God's children as the beloved, well then people who have known fear and hatred and violence can come to know the safety of God's kingdom. And people who have been forgotten or disowned, they can know that they are claimed as children of God. As we scatter ourselves, the wind of the Spirit will blow. 
spreading seed around, and soon there are trees all over. They're attracting all kinds of birds. And before long, the garden itself is transformed. A new heaven, a new earth, all of these trees with refuge and space abundant is what Jesus envisions. And all of it through the very smallest of seeds. Stan Hasty is the past president of the Alliance of Baptists, longtime member of First Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And he once shared the story of his friend, J. Ronald Palmer, an attorney in Washington, D.C., who was a member at that time of First Baptist. And he bought a ticket to go from D.C. to Dallas on business. He bought it at the last second, which means that he was stuck in the middle seat. He was near the back of the plane. And to his right next to the window, there was a young girl, and it appeared to him, and he later learned that she was a person with Down syndrome. And she immediately, uninhibited, struck up this conversation, and she began to ask very straightforward questions like, Mr., did you brush your teeth this morning? Well, yeah, I did. Well, that's good, because you're supposed to. And Mr., do you smoke? Uh, no, no, I don't smoke. Well, that's good because smoking will kill you. And then, mister, do you love Jesus? He was caught by this question, the simplicity, the straightforwardness, the offensiveness even. But he smiled and he said, yeah, yeah, I do. I do love Jesus. Well, that's good, she said. It wasn't that long that another man boarded the plane and ended up sitting right next to them to Palmer's left. Well, the little girl nudged J. Ronald Palmer and said, Mr., ask him if he brushed his teeth this morning. <laughs> Felt uneasy about that. I can't ask him that. But she kept nudging, ask him, ask him. So, sir, I don't mean to bother you, but my friend here wants me to ask you, the man was good-natured. He took the question in a non-offensive way. He said, yes, yes, I did. The plane moved down the runway. Ask him if he smokes. He didn't smoke. And then, of course, the plane was lifting into the air, and she nudged Palmer again, and she said, Mister, ask him if he loves Jesus. Well, I can't do that, he said. That's too personal. I, I feel uncomfortable. But she kept smiling. She kept insisting, ask him, ask him, ask him. And so Palmer did. He turned to this man one more time and he said, sir, excuse me. I have one more question. Now listen, she wants to know... The guy could have responded as he did the two previous questions. He almost did. He started to smile. But then the smile faded and he took on this serious look. In all honesty, he said, you know, I can't really say that I do. It's not that I don't want to. But it's just gotten hard. I've wanted to be a person of faith all my life, but I haven't really known how, and frankly, I'm at a point in my life where I probably need that more than ever. 
And so as the plane climbed to 35,000 feet, J. Ronald Palmer, Washington attorney, man in his 50s, a person who would never feel comfortable doing that sort of thing, listened to this man talk about the brokenness of his life, the things that were overwhelming him, and he shared his story. And he talked to him about his own faith in Christ and what it meant to him to be a person of faith. And he invited him to go to church with him when he got home. Now a story like that's probably been stretched over the years since Stan Hasty first told it. But let me tell you the part that hasn't. When J. Ronald Palmer got back to Washington, this man called him. And they had the first of many dinners, and Palmer ended up introducing this man, who it turns out was a successful real estate developer, to people at another church doing impactful work, a church called Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. And years later, this successful developer, whom J. Ronald Palmer introduced to a life and a language of faith in that airplane, for many years directed a large urban housing ministry that transformed an entire neighborhood in a burned-out section of our capital into a healthy neighborhood of affordable housing. And a young girl asked an important question. She planted the seed of her faith. And a follower of Christ, just as nervously and awkwardly and clumsily as you and I can be, he took it and he did something with it. And do you see it? This great tree sprung up. And even to this day, the birds of the air, they still make their nests there. Friends, none of us, none of us can know the difference that our tiny lives make. But I tend to think that the difference could be measured to be about the size of a mustard seed. And may that kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Amen.